Welcome to Corizant Technologies, home of the Digital Executive Podcast. Welcome to the Digital Executive. Today's guest is Gerald Finken. Gerald Finken is a licensed pharmacist with almost 40 years of experience in the biotechnology and pharmaceutical industries. In 1997, he founded CSM, a clinical supplies packaging and labeling company, where he invented on-demand packaging and labeling, clinical trial research pharmacist services, and pioneered direct-to-patient services. In 2013, he founded CenterPoint Clinical Services and subsequently created the innovative Sightless CRO model. In 2020, Gerald launched RxE2, where he now serves as CEO. Gerald focuses on innovation, disruptive business strategies, and growth opportunities. Good afternoon, Gerald. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Awesome, Gerald. I appreciate you jumping on uh, on this Friday, just before the great weekend. I just want to jump into some of the questions. You've got an interesting background. You have a lot of deep knowledge and experience as a pharmacist. You have that. You kind of married that experience with your passion as an entrepreneur. Could you share with our audience the secret to your drive and to your success? The secret. <laughs> I think the number one thing would be the desire to learn, and that's the nice way of putting it. But I want to say the real secret is I, I just don't tell me no. I don't like to hear no. Of course, I think that made it very hard on my mother growing up <laughs> because she told me no all the time. Yeah. And in, in just not accepting no, you know, it was really this desire to learn and to be more inquisitive. But it actually then spilled over like in that desire into my being competitive. And so, Brian, it was this idea of no and being competitive kept challenging myself to try more, to, to be better, you know, in most of the things that I do. And in combining those what I thought, like you say, the secret, you know, it's, there's a myriad of things, but when I think about this, even now in the question, it's like, what's the logic behind it? And so my mind doesn't shut off. So I'm out there and, and like, even in this question, I'll be thinking later and saying like, was that the logical question? Like, did that really make sense? Is this really why it should be this way? And, you know, this not shutting off and be looking at it a different way and, and, you know, constantly challenging the logic of what's being done. And of course, if you do that, if you're competitive, you don't want to say no, you challenge logic. I guess it really looks at your willingness to try something new. And so to be an entrepreneur was never something I wanted to pursue. It just, it just happens because, you know, challenging the norm, you know, people saying you can't do that and you just go do it, you know, say why not and challenging the logic of it. So I guess it's like, I, I want to say, you know, that it's the secret can be developed. It isn't, you have to be born with it. You really can develop it. So I guess I would really say, you know, the the, uh, desire to learn would be probably the the secret, you know, to continue learning. Long-winded answer to what is the secret. That's great. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, like I said, I've had a lot of everybody from technologists to CEOs, entrepreneurs on the show, and and a lot of them certainly share the same sentiment around that. It's about a continual learning process. So, no, I appreciate you sharing that. So, Gerald, as you know, everybody globally last several months have had to make major shifts to adapt to the new normal, right? That's the new buzzword, that and pivot, right? So this pandemic, could you share with us what you're doing to adjust and stay relevant in this economy? COVID absolutely has disrupted everything. But I started a new company, RxE2, in the beginning of the year, and that was a culmination of 40 years of my experience. And marrying that with my passion as a pharmacist, I, I just love being a pharmacist. I'm in clinical research. My new company, RxE2, is really focusing on clinical research. So we were already out in front of what I would say where the, what the new normal is, and that is we were bringing the practice of pharmacy into clinical research to look at decentralized clinical trials because now, as even before, everybody was looking at decentralized clinical trials and COVID 
really forced our hand. And so you have to go decentralized because patients don't want to come into a clinic for various reasons. Clinics can't even can't even accept them. So, you know, the the stay at home, you know, how do you get medications? How do you get blood draws? How do you get data? And so it kind of forced our hand. And even though COVID is disruptive, we were already out in front of it. I think like we talked about like logic, you know, and I said about the entrepreneurial spirit about logic. People don't want to change. You know, we, we like to be set in our ways. And so for us at RxE2, you know, we're out in front of this saying we can deliver this new product of decentralized trials. RxE2 is pharmacy for everyone everywhere. And in decentralizing, we're going out to this, like rugby North Dakota, you know, Rapid City, South Dakota, you know, to reach as far reaches to bring clinical trials to the person instead of the person have to come to clinical trials. And that disruption was kind of hard to accept. And then COVID hit. And now what we all thought is normal, you know, that we didn't have to change, we are forced to change in so many things that we do. And with that mindset comes this, we'll take a look, <laughs> we'll look at decentralized trials in this case, but it, but it gets personal to each one of us, you know, of how we, each one of us has been affected by COVID. I'm blessed that I haven't been personally affected with any of my loved ones. And I, I feel badly for those who have been affected that way. And even there, it's like, how do you, how do you mourn? But anyhow, so we know COVID's been disruptive and, and really has opened in the pharmaceutical industry has opened up everyone's thinking to say, we have to do something new. And so for me, we are fortunate to be a leader in decentralized trials that now everybody's looking at. It's an interesting concept too, because when RxE2, when I, when I talk about bringing the practice of pharmacy to clinical research, you have to understand, like people would ask, like, what do you mean by that? You know, bringing the pharmacist into clinical research. Well, you know, for 40 years, I've been in this business. And do you know that there's no practice of pharmacy in clinical research? It's all about the doctor, the patient, right? Mm -hmm. The clinical site. And there's no practice of pharmacy. There's no pharmacist requirement in clinical research. And so it's one of these aha moments. You look at things and say, wait a minute, you know, let's take a look at this. And then when you start looking at it, you say, you know, we can improve the way clinical research is done by bringing in a pharmacist because the pharmacist is the medication expert and clinical research is all about medication. All of a sudden, there's a lot of answers that, that get answered. And in pointing this out right now, for instance, in COVID, all pharmacies are open. You know, they're on the forefront of being a servant leader with providing the vaccines. I mean, we just got approved to do children's vaccines. And so when, when we start getting the vaccine for COVID, the pharmacists are going to play a big role. So it's just interesting that, you know, once people hear this, they, they say, well, that's not a new idea, but no one thought of it before. And that's getting back to my logic of saying, you know, wait a minute, why are we doing what we're doing? And COVID, as disruptive as it is, is really playing right into the role of what we want to be doing at RxE2. Amazing. It's just great to hear that you can leverage a lot of your experience, you know, research, clinical trials, that sort of thing towards a service or a product, something that's going to actually help us navigate through this, this time with this pandemic. So Gerald, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Gerald, are there any new technologies or emerging drugs, therapeutics that you're leveraging today within your company? Anything you'd like to share with our audience? Wow. Um, so I, uh, this gets me really excited, as everybody should be. Sure. Um, and it's not, my, it's not my expertise, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But what's happening, like in the basic research, you know, the idea of Moore's Law hockey stick of everything doubling, you know, the way the processes and computers have doubled, that's happening in the basic research, in the clinical research today. And so when you hear the terms like CRISPR gene, CAR-T, precision medicine, you know, pharmacogenomics, there's a plethora of 
innovation that's just taking off. Um, and it's not my area of expertise, but the changes that we've seen in the idea that the cure for cancer, cure for hemophilia, you know, these things are coming. And like cancer, you know, the different types of cancers, you know, precision medicine, identifying, you know, individual, you know, based upon the genetics of an individual that will cure some based upon their genetics. And you don't give medication to another person because they don't have the gen genetics for it. And so everybody should be excited for what's happening in medicine and what technology is bringing to make that happen. But that's not my area of expertise. <laughs> so, so let's talk about it in a different way. So even though all that technology is developing these new medicines, these, you know, these little messengers, like, you know, the, the T cell messengers that are de destroying the cancer cells, you can develop all that, but if you can't deliver it, it's not really good. It, it's not, it's not going to help us. And one of the things I find in clinical research today is, you know, Albert Einstein was credited with, you know, what's the definition of insanity? You know, you keep trying doing the same thing, expect a different outcome. And this is what I found in clinical research that for 40 years, right, we've been doing the same thing. And I'd stress this all the time, you know, and in those 40 years, when I started to today, you know, 40 years ago, nine out of 10 drugs failed to get approved by the FDA. 40 years later, with all the technologies come into play, nine out of 10 drugs still fail to get approved by the FDA. 40 years ago, it took seven to 14 years to get a drug approved by the FDA. Today, it takes seven to 14 years to get a drug approved. And 40 years ago, there wasn't even a fax machine when I started. We were paper, you know, so we were like, wow, I don't have to go up three floors. You know, somebody can fax me a document. And think about the internet of things and big data and where we are today. But the premise behind it hasn't changed. So when you think about all the technology platforms out there today and what they're touting about, you know, how it's going to revolutionize clinical research, it's like, really? Is it really going to do that? Considering everything we've seen over the past 40 years hasn't changed the real why of like, why do we do clinical research? And so for me, it's like, let's change that. So let's take a look at the technology we have and maybe provide it in a different way. And so when I, when I think about that, like, for instance, you know, telehealth right now is everybody's talking about telehealth. Well, Brian, if we're on a Zoom call and you and I talk about our health, that's telehealth. Yep. And, um, and I kind of chuck a little bit because, you know, tele, telemedicine, telepharmacy has been around for 20 years. And I'm very proud to say that North Dakota was the first state in all 50 states that actually had laws governing you know, telehealth. And so when we talk about today about being able to talk to your doctor online, it's like that's been available for 20 years, but it still hasn't changed the outcome of all this great technology of the CRISPR genes and CAR-T and all the great advances. Like we're hoping to make a COVID vaccine within a year. That's unheard of because of the technology that's out there. But if we can't deliver it, which in the news, if you read between the lines, you know, how do you manufacture it? How do you get it to people? And for instance, you know, the pharmacist commercially doesn't get paid to, to deliver that vaccine. So pharmacists can't, you know, don't get paid. So will they do it? As servant leaders, of course they will. So when I talk about technology, like at RxE2, we're using technology, but in a different way. And in different ways, we're going to put the current technology that's been available in the hands of pharmacists. And I believe we're drastically going to change the outcomes of clinical research because we're going to put the medication expert at the forefront. So using telepharmacy, right, to have a conversation with the patient, you know, every month, you know, to talk about their medications and how's it going. So for me, I want to say technology is one of the things we use it as a tool. But I believe that once, once the, our eyes are opened about how the pharmacist uses technology, we're going to then take it, it's going to catch up, you know, about how to deliver this wonderful drug development technology into how did we deliver that drug technology. I'm working with a company right now that gets me very excited that 
you know, clinical research is all about collecting data. And I think that's sometimes what puts people off about being in clinical research because you're going to collect my data. And that's great because that is what's absolutely required to get FDA approved. But I believe what's been missing, right, is the pharmacist. But the pharmacist collects information. And we, we talk about emotions. You know, we talk about behaviors. We talk about social economic conditions that are not included in what's required to get a drug approved. And so like an example I can give you, Brian, is, you know, I'm talking to a patient and I ask, how are you doing today? Okay. Well, data would say, check the box, you're doing okay. But Brian, am I doing okay? <laughs> no, no. So you have to ask the next question. Like, Brian, I heard you say, okay, but, you know, is there something else going on? And that's the conversation a pharmacist has. And so, so I'm excited about then looking at some of these behaviors and having some of the information that's gathered run through algorithms to then say, listen, you know, you need to talk to this patient again, or you, or you need to contact this patient based upon the data that they're providing. And that's some of the new technology, which we all know about in the marketing world, how that's used. You know, we, we all have big companies out there selling, selling their capabilities to sell to us. But we really haven't used that same technology, I believe, in providing healthcare to people, better outcomes for people. And some of that is because it's not about the money, right? It's people's health. So anyhow, that's how we're using technology. So it's, it's where we're using the current technology. I don't think I need new technology, but to deliver a much better outcome with technology we already have. So thanks for letting me take a long time on that, Brian. But I think it's important because technology you know, is, a, is great in the hands and in the right place. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you need to have a strategy behind deploying a technology. You can't just assume, oh, it's new technology. It's going to solve all my problems. You know, as a technologist for 25 plus years, I completely understand that. So thanks for sharing that, Gerald. I appreciate it. So Gerald, this is the big question. Last question. This is what the audience wants to know. They want to learn about Gerald. So can you share something from your career experience that would be helpful for those looking either to grow their career in pharmaceuticals or being a pharmacist or even to break into entrepreneurship? Wow. You know, Brian, so let me, let me start by this. One of the things is that age, I've been in the industry 40 years and just I'm 62, is that during that time, during growth all along and back to like technology, we talk about data. You know, there's somewhere I read, you know, data goes to information, goes to knowledge, goes to wisdom, which goes to power. And I really like the idea of knowledge to wisdom. And that's kind of where I am today. So, you know, a lot of people ask me about, you know, my life and success and how's it been? And, and you try to provide some insight, but it's so hard when we're each individuals. And so you can, you know, so I can provide some advice. And so as you ask that question, you know, about a career in pharmaceuticals, you know, that's individual about, and I guess it comes back. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of, I'm really trying to focus on what, you know, how to provide good information to your, to your listeners. And I guess it comes back to something I, that I've only recently just really challenged myself with is, and that is my personal why to my financial why. And the personal why is a passion. It makes us who we are. And, you know, to go after something because it's like what we want to do, like for you doing these podcasts, you know, the passion to do what you do, you know, you wake up every morning and you want to do it. That's a personal why. Now, there's a financial why, which, which is you have to do. We, we, we want to you know, provide for ourselves, for our families, for our friends. And, and this idea of success and what does it mean is usually in this day and age in the capitalistic world is the financial why. And that's not a bad thing. But I think there's a difference in that in the personal why. Like for me, in being an entrepreneur, I've always found that if I follow my passion, that I've been successful. And success is measured in many ways, but it's like waking up in the morning, like, what is that success? But more importantly, when I've done that, asking my personal why and following that, the financial why gets answered. It just follows on. It just, you know, you work hard and it delivers. And sometimes when I look at the financial why, 
I think that's why like the financial markets, they talk about risk. If you focus on the financial why, it's riskier. You know, nine out of 10 times it doesn't work. But I think if you follow your personal why, you'll be 90% of the time it works. So I, so I think when, when we talk about that entrepreneurship, but, and I have to mention this thing too about something I've, I looked at long, long ago because we talk about innovation. And when I talk about disruptive innovation, Clayton Christensen's term for disruptive innovation, not the buzzword, you, know, that you, you yeah. do something a little bit different and it's disruptive or you try to say it's disruptive because you're looking at the financial why. But I had this simple, three simple steps to innovation. And if you really think about it, get into this, I think it really sets for everything. And, and I don't need to write a book on it and you know, <laughs> be 300 pages when, when I could give you these three simple rules and, and, and innovation is yours. And it really starts with this. Anything is possible. And I mean anything. You have to have a belief. So, you know, if you go back 200 years and you, or 300 years and the idea of flight, like what? That's not possible. If you went back 50 years ago, talk about the internet. What? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about, right? So if you believe anything is possible, like I do, it can be done. Teleportation. I mean, I believe it can be done. We just we have to get to the next two rules. The second rule that I always see is um, someone must see it. And by that is this faith that you need to have this vision. They always talk about if you have to see your future, you have to see it and know it. So like for me in RxA2 and where we're going, I just know this is going to happen. I see what it is. In my mind's eye, I see it. So if you believe anything is possible and you can see it and not be afraid to lead it, you need to go out there and be looked at as if you have two heads, like the people who like Galileo, right? You know, that's, you know, the individuals who stood out at the time as being heretics yeah. for believing, mm -hmm. right? And having faith. Then there, here's, here's the rule though. The third rule is important that you cannot break collective human thinking, current human knowledge, right? Where we talk about knowledge is wisdom. You can't break the collective human knowledge. And by that, I mean, like all the physics and the laws that we've developed is a collective whole thinking of what we have. And I believe in life's laws about how, how, this, how, we, how we work together is collectively we think a certain way. So you can't break those laws unless you come up with a new pathway, something that outdates the previous thinking. Does that make sense to you? Do you know what I mean? So like, there's a human collective knowledge and you have to figure out how to penetrate that or like what I'm doing, just creating a whole new model to the right <laughs> that doesn't break any of the clinical research model today. I'm just creating something new. And I think if you look at everything, these three steps of anything is possible, you must see it, right? And lead it. And that you can't break the current collective human thinking. And who is it? Edwin Friedman in his book, can't think of the name of it right now, but in his book, he talked about the explorers. And, and I always tell everybody, what's the biggest thing that ever happened in mankind, you know, humankind? And that is like the world was flat. And to the world, the collective human knowledge, the world was flat. How did it become round? And the question is, was it always round? Yeah. And so I use that as an example. So anything is possible. I believe the world's round. What? <laughs> I see it being round. And then you go out and prove it, right? You get in your ship and you go to the edge of the earth and find out it's not the edge of the earth and horizons further down. So anyway, I think those three simple rules and following your personal why can make everybody an entrepreneur. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. That's uh, certainly something a little bit newer than what I've heard in the last 60 some odd podcasts that I've had hmm. and interviewed. So that's interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. And Gerald, I just want to personally thank you. It was a pleasure having you on the show today. And I look forward to speaking with you real soon. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.